For Tandem Launch, I'm Jermaine Murray, and this is The Launch, a podcast all about tech startups. Today, Sudi Faroki is many things. One could say she wears many hats. A mother, a startup founder, a researcher, an innovator. And how does she manage to balance it all? Well, sometimes it sounds like magic, but what it really sounds like is a person that's filled with love, dedication to the vision that they set out forth when they started their company. From home in a pandemic, uh, I know. How are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, in the beginning, I was like trying to survive, and now I'm like being. Uh, I'm, I think becoming stronger every single day. So <laughs> it's fun. How old your uh, How old your little one? Uh, it's uh, one and a half years. Oh wow! So that's that's like that's like a really fresh little. baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so like I, I have friends that are parents and, um, you know, I tell them all the time, I can't wait to have kids. And they say to me, uh, just prepare to like lose your relationship with sleep. <laughs> well, the first year, definitely. Like you just forget it. Now the sleep is fine. Honestly, it's like uh, getting back to normal because she sleeps very well during the night. Uh, but uh, before before this pandemic, everything was so easy. Like I was saying, wow, I have a child, I have a startup, it's going well. I I kind of managed it in a way, and then boom, we were hit by the pandemic. So <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's hard for everyone. Honestly, not only me. Every single person that has a child definitely it's so difficult, but in particular uh, having a startup and a, and a small child working from home. And my husband is also very busy, so we both contribute. I, I would say really the same, but uh, for both of us, it's uh, it's a challenging uh, period, and we are learning. <laughs> I can only imagine like, um, so do you ever have like interruptions in like your, your video meetings because of the baby? Like is the baby, like, have you ever had to like cut a video call short? Cause like, Hey, my baby's crying. I'll be right back. Or yeah, I bring her to the session. You bring the baby into the session. Yeah, like my colleagues know her for sure. Amazing. That yeah. is so I sweet. Mean, because it's from home, you know, work from home. I think everybody has, uh, it's kind of prepared that this might happen. And uh, if she opens the door and she's crying and she wants me, I hide her and like continue to, to, to be in the meeting. Of course, you cannot, you know, honestly be uh, full, full yourself in a way. Like it's just kind of the full potential won't be there when, when there is a baby to take care of because like some of your mind needs to be worried about her. But um I'm a good multitasker, so I'm like, I think, uh, doing it <laughs> and it's going well. Okay, so one thing is that I guess that always uh, people are telling me that you're going to be much more productive. I, I, I assume I consider myself a productive person. When I sit, I go to the flow. I, I very much focus on the things that I need to be need to finish, and I usually like finish it in, in a good time. But now that I have a baby and I know, like, let's say after, I know, this hour, I had to, for example, go and pick her up at the daycare, I knew that I cannot extend that much. And and I knew that in this, like, one hour, I need to finish this sharp. So uh, it's, it's so important for me to be even more productive, to catch up with the task. So honestly, during this, uh, I think, uh, last year, I would say, 
I was much more productive because I knew that I don't have that much of time out of the working hours because I used to work like 18 hours back then when I was at Panama. So uh, that, 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 that helps to you know, stay focused and finish the things because you don't have any other chance uh, to finish it later. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you're able to, to kind of, uh, you know, develop the skills you need to make sure everything, you know, stayed copacetic. And like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like picture my head. So it's like for, for our audience, uh, Sude, can you tell us a little bit about like CTRO, how it came to be, or just, you know what, can you describe to us, you know, how CTRO was born? <laughs> sure. So, Situar uh, was born uh, in 2016. Um, uh, it was a time that uh, I actually moved uh, from Europe, uh, Austria to, to Montreal uh, because I got to know um, an incubator here on Tandem Launch that uh, I, I like the, the model that they are actually launching the startups. And I, in particular, I really like the their support uh, for for entrepreneurs, and uh, I moved here. I had the so my background, and I have a PhD in cloud computing. So my background is around uh, you know big data, cloud uh, analytics, etc. And I knew that the era is going to be big data era, and and I had in mind and I had the vision that uh, my my this is startup because I had a previous startup in uh, um, back then on more business uh, processes and service company. This one, I knew that I want to build a product company and I and it was around well, how I can actually work in the data analytics piece using cloud and the power of artificial intelligence. Then kind of the idea of cloud robotics um, came into play that how we can have a very powerful technology, a platform, a cloud robotics platform that we can connect uh, devices such as robots uh, to to that platform and give them the uh, cognitive abilities that they need without increasing the cost of the hardware. So that was the that was the initial I would say ideation of the company. I pitched it to Helge. He loved it. Helge is the 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 you know the tandem launch. Uh, uh, president and CEO, and he was the one that actually approving that, okay, this company, can it be a company or not? It's just the idea. So we did some market research and we figured out that, okay, this is a, it's a, it's a nice idea. And we, I, I acquired the technology also from Indiana University that was supporting this, uh, the backbone of the, the idea that was a stream processing a platform that then the, the sensors data as they are coming we process them and we send them back the result to the robot in uh, almost real time because the robot needs to get them at real time. So I, I just want to like kind of backtrack. Um, you, you mentioned that you you were putting together the pitch and, you know, that little tidbit you just gave, it sounds like it was a bit of a, a stressful time. Was it your first time pitching? And if so, can you describe to us what, what was that like doing your first pitch in front of your quote unquote lead investor? <laughs> that's that's cool. Well, being in uh, in that incubator, it was uh, we were very much prepared for for pitching different ideas. So, uh, when when I came with uh, with that solution, we definitely had a session that um, a couple of people were were sitting there, more decision makers, and we were trying to kind of really be 
visionary in our uh, in our idea, but also meanwhile be um, practical and seeing it from the point of view of an investor that, okay, it's very visionary, but can we really make money out of it? So yeah, definitely was, it was, was very stressful, but when I'm passionate about some things, I guess, um, that passion will, will kind of overcome all of the barriers for me. And I was like believing that, okay, look, the technology is on the edge of AI, uh, big data and cloud, and uh, we'll, this is a powerful technology. And then the application and the market segments, we picked the robotics market back then, but I have a whole new story of what, where we are right now with the same technology. And, and given the fact that our investors were also, I would say, very much tech-savvy people, they realized that, okay, the technology and also the because the technology, as I said, we had a jump start uh, with working with Indiana University and researchers. They knew that it's a credible technology that they built. So potentially, we definitely can define a product out of it. The initial idea was was on robotics. And you'll see and you'll hear the news stories that's, that is a little bit different than, the, than in 2016. Amazing. So let's let's uh, well let's tra- start transitioning into that pivot you, you kind of hinted at. What was going? What went wrong? What made you go? Oh crap! We we might have to to think about another direction. <laughs> well, it wasn't actually like this, Jeremy. When, when you think about uh, pivoting a startup as a founder, uh, believe me that now I see it as a pivot, but I was keep refusing that this is a pivot. It was a natural direction of the company to go because you think that you're probably, you change the vision and you don't want to, to, to consider this as a pivot. So this happens. We started to be very uh, open in hearing the market feedback. So robotics was a very cool market. It's an emerging market. An emerging market means that there are a lot of early adopters that they are taking it, considering it to adopt in different restaurants, in different hotels, in airports, for example, if you consider service robots, because that was the section that we were focusing on. And that was the section that the idea of having cloud robotics and not increasing the cost of a mobile robot was had a very good value proposition. Then we, real, we realized that, yeah, they are... Um, different countries that are very much advanced in terms of the adoption rate, that's like Asian countries, Japan, uh, China, Korea, they definitely, if you consider those as samples, well, the adoption rate is so high. But if you consider worldwide, let's say North American or European countries, the adoption rate is not yet there. For a startup to pitch a software as a service technology on top of that. So the barrier for entry for us was too much. It was the case that I was going to, you know, customers and was saying, you know what, you need to buy a robot first, and then we're going to offer a very much affordable SaaS solution on top of it. And it was having so many abilities, AI capabilities, mainly vision, computer vision capabilities. But that barrier to entry and considering the emerging market means that it's still a market, small market, only for some more visionary customers that they want to see the applications versus using them and adopting them in like a mass market. That actually gave us a hit of, look, you cannot grow that much right now at this 
time, let's say 2017, even 18, even 19, with the robotics market, with that barrier to entry as a startup. And so it was a, it was a, I, I would say, a period of time that we were thinking, look, we are only using the cameras of the robots because the technology that we have, we, we do the heavy lifting on the cloud and we need a connection between the device to the cloud. And we are using the cameras of the robot. So what if we only use the cameras, not the robot itself, because we don't need the processing on the robot. And that came to the fact, uh, we kind of, we came, we, we got to the conclusion that, well, you know what? The existing surveillance cameras are everywhere and we don't need any hardware for offering that kind of uh, uh, insight and, and analytics that we can offer it's definitely different application because back then we started with something like face recognition applications. We had a product on that. We changed it. We made it very much uh, generic aggregated analytics and we call it right now we have a product named Perceive. But I would say the, the pivot point was, well, not using robots, using cameras. And then on the cameras, surveillance cameras that are everywhere. So now we are calling ourselves the Google Analytics of Physical Space. Ah, you know, you know, you know, it's it's kind of hilarious uh, for our listeners that aren't aware. Uh, CTRO's robot used to actually be a, a, a thing in the tandem launch office. This is before my time, but I still yeah. hear stories about um, how creepy the robot would be <laughs> like when it was dark. And <laughs> some people would be like, you know, you turn around and then you turn back around and it's just there. Yeah, yeah, so, we have all of our robots right now in our office because we were using with uh, we were working with robot manufacturers. They were sending us the robots units. We were uh, integrating it with our uh, APIs to connect them to our cloud platform, and we were offering a lot of abilities like face recognition, object recognition, uh, simultaneously localization and mapping, name is Slam, like indoor localization. So a lot of abilities they had, and they loved it. But they couldn't sell that even the robot with that software because the adoption rate was so low, still is low. But I'm 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 really hopeful that in some years we're gonna expand the market to that market because the market might might get to that maturity that we want. I was just about to ask you, did you feel like that the robot might have been uh, too ahead of its time? Yeah, yeah, exactly the case. So I'm saying that Asian countries don't sit like this because they are like get used to having robots everywhere us not yet maybe in some years uh, in five years for example uh that's not an emerging market anymore it's like the adoption rate is as high as people are starting thinking oh okay so this robot's going to you know clean the airport but needs the localization needs the object detection subject record like a lot of things that's happening right now in warehouses for example or with robots right right now the majority of the manufacturers are putting embedded solutions on top of that robot everything's as a unit not connected but the future is not like this the future is that the hardware gonna, gonna be a commodity the software is something that's different so i bet you that all of the manufacturers they have to go on like kind of the same feature set of the hardware and that's the software stack that's come on top of them that differentiate this robot versus the rest this device versus the rest and then when when we comes into play because that's the that's the 
uh, I would say the really principle and the nature of our technology that we offer, we offload that computation somewhere else and we keep the device thin in terms of the, the, the hardware and processing requirement. And that's like that's like the value proposition for you is because it's like your your adoption is now more just entirely software uh, to go onto these existing systems. Exactly. Um, so, I, I you know, whenever, um, you know, when I my dad used to be a, a pretty, pretty good businessman and he would have me um, like look at certain trends and he always say this, he always used to say this. He's like, um, if uh, a business loses the trust of its customers, Mm -hmm. the best, the best strategy for that business is to do a complete rebrand and come under, come under something as like a, as a new name Mm -hmm. to tell a new story. Mm -hmm. Now you've had to, you've had to do this pivot from, um, you know, robotics and hardware to just software on top of hardware. Did you have any difficulty you know, with uh, communicating that that change, that pivot effectively to, you know, your staff, your investors and uh, just your messaging for the outside world. And if so, you know, how, how did that transition happen? Was it an easy transition? Was it something that you worked with your team on or is it something that you're still trying to hammer out today? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, because the fact that we from even from the first Dermon, we weren't a hardware company at all. So we never offered any hardware from the First, we were a software as a service platform, but back then we were more using the robots as the sensors, kind of that uh, sensor that they send the data to to the platform. Now we are using cameras as they are the sensors sending the video video footprint to our platform. So the technology is still as it was as was a software technology, software solution, uh, stream processing of uh, data in real time, but it's just kind of, as I said, the connected devices uh, are different and they are like we are using some that the barrier to entry for us is very low. Uh, maybe some things that I guess help, help me answer this question is to just uh, give you the perspective that the transition doesn't happen like suddenly. It's not the case that like from today we're gonna transit like like let's say next week we're gonna do something else. It's very much naturally it happens and in a way of, for example, we we narrow down to service robots. After service robots, we narrow down in the beginning to more using uh, tablet cameras, kind of. Let's say because all of the, first of all, have in mind that all of the, most of the service robots, they have Android. So, and they have a tablet in front of like in their chest. So it's kind of similar to like having a tablet. So we say, you know, for our test, let's use a tablet. And then we say, well, we can even offer the solution and the product on the tablet because we used to have a uh, face recognition product name engage for you know kind of knowing your customers the vip customers coming into your store and this type of applications and we simply kind of use the tablets for that instead of a robot and then that solution and then the data privacy and gdpr it didn't very well together and it was it was a it was a solution that we were getting the consent of people they were opting in so it wasn't any trick but even that the perception of people for face recognition was very negative and that was also another feedback that you know that product even with a tablet that might not have that much of barrier to entry doesn't go anywhere so 
this this is happening like in a, let's say uh, 2018 time frame and it was throughout the year because we were going to trade shows we were showing and the, the demonstration of our technology and product and we were seeing the feedback and then after a few months we were like kind of more towards oh okay so the technology the product that we have the perception is like this so it might be a lot of again barrier from different reasons more now data privacy that's why perceive born at that time that is about more the analytics of a physical space about the anonymous and aggregated insights about the visitors. Like visitors come to your uh, shopping mall, you want to understand their journey, you want to see how was their experience, but in an anonymous way, not in particular what's this person, it's more age, uh, people in this age range usually take this path in a shopping mall. And we were now, then it was very natural to use the cameras instead of, you know, tablets because cameras are giving us a very much coverage of the whole facility. So we were, and we were slowly and kind of continuously in touch with uh, with with our investors, with our board, with the with the employees. They were definitely, by like every week, they were seeing that, okay, these are the insights we are getting. The adoption of our product, the feedback of our customers. So it wasn't a sudden change that is like surprise everyone. It was something that people were saying, you are making a good business decisions and going ahead. And indeed, we try to really all, always be very much um, realistic in our decisions. Um, and, and we say, well, okay, these are the feedback. We need to be honest with ourselves and we need to see what's the best for our company in terms of, you know, what's the product that we can build and people would love it. So to to answer your question and summarize it, I'm saying again, as a, as a gradual process, everybody was in the loop and everybody was hearing the feedback we are we are receiving and it was like a more i would say the decisions we all together made it wasn't only like some particular people made this is like a it's happening and everybody agrees and decided that okay this is a better path uh, for a product in the in, a, in our company you know i i like that i like I like that you guys took that position and that it was more of a of a democracy in terms of the conversation with regards to the pivot and what's going on. I think mm-hmm. I think now, especially, you know, since we're in these troubled times like COVID-19 and just a lot of uncertainty that um, from the employee standpoint, it's very important for there to be transparency uh, from head to toe. Uh, and, and with regards to, to COVID-19, how has that impacted? your your business how has that impacted the dynamic of your team internally right right well it's a, it's a great question and and believe me that one of the very important uh cultures that we build in our startup is actually that transparency between different layers we don't have that much really layers in our company everybody treated that as as important people that their their opinion matters uh well uh, we were, we were, we are, we are, we have a product that is for commercial real estate, uh, shopping malls, retail stores, and uh, public transport. So, and if you can imagine our product as a Google Analytics of physical space, while the Google Analytics of the digital space is doing very well these days, I think because thanks to um, that pandemic, everybody is into more e-commerce, right? But the Google Analytics of physical world was definitely hit because the physical world was locked down. So, 
that that was definitely uh, impacted us uh, in a in a in a case that well uh, our the facilities that our technology and product were deployed were mostly kind of closed for a period of time. We were very much, I would say, um, fortunate, and and it's also proved that our technology is a mission critical uh, product that none of our customers stop our engage our engagement with them. So it's like right now, for example, Europe is returning back, and our customers uh, return back to normal days. That is, shows that this is not a product that they just take it out and say, well, you know that you know what, we don't need it right now. But in terms of the business, yeah, so the revenue and all of the other aspects of it were hit. We are a small team, but we are very much connected and we consider as a family. So we are uh, definitely every week we, we talk, we have gathering together and we, we, we are very transparent of, okay, what's the direction of the company? What are the decisions we are making at this time? And the, the exciting thing about our technology and our platform is that we actually extended it to safety features that are related to uh, pandemic and after pandemic. So the same platform, AI video analytics solution, we right now offer real-time occupancy management for even our existing customer and new customers. And it's a real-time system. So uh, our, our engineering team and, and technical and R&D team had to work really hard to deliver this one while they are doing you know they are remote they don't see each other we cannot brainstorm in a in a in a, in a meeting room and we also added uh, we added a thermal screening feature on top of it because at the end of the day again we are using uh, a lot of aspects of our technology that works with the vision camera like normal rgb cameras and then we extended it with a thermal piece so that we can also capture and detect people with elevated um, body temperature for the safety and we call it uh, risk management and these two are can be even stand alone feature set that are used in during uh, pandemic and after pandemic in all of our uh, market segments. So our team are so excited that they are like, first of all, our, we made very good business decisions that we extended our technology and tried to be part of the solution for the society. So we feel that we contributed positively and the same for the whole, uh, again, our family as C2RO family. And they also love the fact that they are building new feature set and we are having new set of customers that are interested in this new feature set. So um, I would, I really believe that the strong company is going to survive. And it also shows that uh, they are making right, right call. They are, they are making right products and they are hearing the customer feedback. So honestly, our, 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 our experience with pandemic was that uh, we are in a, in a, better shape in terms of our product versus a couple of months because we could reshape the important pieces of it. And uh, now we have um, the safety features added to the, the, the things we had. It wasn't the case that we needed to throw out the other uh, part of our product. We just, we kind of added those features and now it's more a comprehensive product and more appealing for our customers and customers are also proud of I think us as a technology provider that is innovative while also we are also very much caring the data protection and data privacy 
compliancy. Today we had a PR around it that I'm also very proud of that. I think that the biggest tech takeaway for me and for what I'd like our audience to know is that when it comes to being a successful uh, in the startup space, in the tech startup space, you have to be able to remain flexible, remain smart, and keep your eye out for potential opportunities and industries you can pivot to because uh, anything yeah, can happen and you want to be able that you're, you want to know that you're strong and that your team is strong so you're able to create new opportunities when you might have hit a ceiling earlier than expected. Absolutely, absolutely. The flexibility matters, and 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 I think whoever survives is really based on based on even the natural selection of Darwin. You we know that who survives is like the one that is more compatible with the big changes, right? So, but that compatibility when it comes to a business, you need to be also be very careful of the decisions you are making because you need to see your capacity. You need to see and be realistic about your team and resources and see if you should do this or because I think you you mentioned yourself that trust between a, a brand, a technology provider and customers and its own team are very important factors. We didn't want to bridge any of them. We didn't want to, you know, give the message to our customers that whatever product you were using before we cannot, they cannot support it anymore. This is a totally a new product. No, we say, you know what? Whatever product we were offering you before, we just extended it with the feature set that matters to you, to you right now. And you can use the same platform, the same hardware, and just be safe and keep your visitors and employees safe with the existing hardware and software that we are offering. So they actually saw the power of the of the technology provider that is as you said is flexible but also taking care of the the feedback that's hearing from the market on the next episode of the launch we sit down with the founders of soundsgrid a company based in montreal that's making a new type of microphone and revolutionizing how we approach audio sahil fred and stefan and more than enough to say about soundsgrid tandem launch and my microphone setup you know, if you just look at microphone technology over the years, um, sort of the small microphones that you see in your phone, um, the quality has really been improving over the last decade. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can kind of push the boundaries of that and, and give you exactly what you said, you know, that studio level quality um, straight from your mobile device 